This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to another episode of Breaking Pod. We are talking about Season 5, Episode 2, Madrigal, today. As always, I'm joined by the hostess with the mostess on the other end of the line, Zach. Zach, how are you? I'm doing so well, Josh. Uh, great to be back talking with you about another episode of Breaking Bad. I'm excited about this one. Madrigal is um, its interesting. There's some new stuff here. We get some extended European montages, and uh, it's fun. Yeah, I think we have a lot of good moments in this, and I'm excited to talk through it. I will say that the opening of this episode, which we'll talk a little bit about in the, I think it's, I think it's your, um, it's your your best scene. So we'll talk a little bit more about it. But you know, when you first watch this episode, I think people's first reaction might have been, "Am I watching the right show?" Like I have never seen any of these people before. Uh, it's this guy like taste testing sauces for chicken nuggets or something. You're not really sure what's going or French fries or. And it's like, what? what's going on? And then you sort of learn there's this reveal that, oh, they're, whoever this guy is has some ties with uh, Los Poyos Hermanos. There's this great moment where they're taking down the Los Poyos Hermanos sign. I guess, you know, when you're a drug kingpin, your restaurant chain folds after that. I mean, people love that chicken, though. Is that what happened? People just so. lost Los Poyos Hermanos? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. They're just like, oh, well, it was associated with the drug trade, so... I can't imagine if, no if like, the founder of Chipotle was ever found out and we had to get rid of all Chipotles in the United States. That's my favorite. Oh that my would gosh. be awful. It would be terrible. It would be terrible. No, I, I mean, if the founder of Chipotle, or I was thinking even, like, Chick-fil-A, maybe more directly related oh, to yeah. the whole chicken yeah, thing. Yeah, you know, exactly. Truett, Truett Cathy, who I think was the name <laughs> of the founder. If I yeah. think he's dead now. I'm pretty sure. I think he passed away. But if he was revealed to have, like, you know, presented over a sprawling drug empire... I know people would still flock to Chick-fil-A for sure. Yeah, they absolutely would. I mean, between the chicken, the French fries, and the milkshakes, it's just a win-win-win exactly. right there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we'll kick this off with the two-minute summary, as we always do. And then we'll go into yeah, any trivia and bloopers from the episode, and then our best scene, best moment, best writing. Sounds great. Before we wrap it up with nits to pick and MVP. So the two-minute summary for Madrigal. A German businessman from Mag- Madrigal, the parent company of Los Pollos Hermanos, commits suicide to evade questioning about his ties to Gus Fring. The DEA filters through various leads in hopes of finding something in order to rebuild their lives and form a new profitable drug business. Walt and Jesse decide to look to Mike as a new partner. Mike refuses, but soon learns that a Cayman Islands account Gus set up for Mike's granddaughter has been frozen by the DEA. A magical executive named Lydia hires a hitman to start killing off people that can tie her to Gus, including Mike. Mike thwarts his attacker and goes to kill Lydia, but instead asks her to to be the methylamine supplier for Walt and Jesse. That is the end of the two-minute summary. Zach, what grade do you give this? Uh, This is like a C minus, I think. Uh, It always bugs me when people use verbs incorrectly. So, for example, the DEA filters through. They might sift through, or they might make, make a filter. They might put those various leads through a filter, but they don't really filter through various yeah. leads. So that'd be one little uh, one little nitpick I would have with this description. I mean, also in general, just, I don't know, it's just sort of sloppily done. I think um, it doesn't highlight some of the most interesting things. It certainly does the Mike and Lydia methylamine thing, which is certainly very important and all of that. Um, but I think, I think there's some other stuff that it glosses over, uh, including talking about kind of the future of like Los Pollos Hermanos or the fact that... Um, 
that Mike like is also trying to defend his his guys rather than just look out for his granddaughter, etc. Yeah, yeah. I also find it interesting that you know, this is the first time we're seeing the character of Lydia, and it's just sort of a throwaway. Oh, Madrigal executive. Like she. Yeah, that's a good point. She has she has more to do and. You know, she does have a last name. They could have at least looked it up on IMDb, you know, like given us maybe a hyperlink to uh, Lydia something. I don't know. Just a little bit more information about this character who seemingly will play a big part in the rest of the season. We're not sure at this point, but, you know, based on this episode, but certainly has a lot to do in this episode. Yeah, totally makes sense. So what do you think? C as well? C yeah, minus? it's definitely no more than a C. I'll, I'll just give it a C right but, down the middle. Yeah, fair enough. Zach, do we have any trivia or bloopers for this episode? Yeah, I've got a few fun things. So uh, first, Herr Schuler, who's the uh, the magical executive in the beginning who ends up committing suicide. There's a continuity error where his ring finger switches hands. Germans, Europeans in general, uh, but Germans in particular, tend to wear their wedding rings on their right hand. And in some of the scenes, he has it on his right and others, he has it on his left. Um, there's also a problem with the suicide itself because he uses an AED to commit suicide, an automatic external defibrillator. And have you done, have you done CPR training with those before Josh? Yeah. And actually I think that a lot of, from what I've read, a lot of TV shows and movies misuse this this particular technology. Yeah. Cause like when you've done the, if you've done the training, you know that you have to attach the leads and then it has to like pick up on your heart rate. Right. And basically detect that there's a problem. And then when you press it, it's it's designed to sort of calibrate correctly and give you the right dosage, et cetera. So if you're not in a state of defibrillation or if your heart hasn't stopped, like it's not going to deliver the shock. So it's not it's not as simple as like attached leads, press button and you die. Um, yeah. So that's a little kind of uh, goof there. But as far as like fun trivia things, um, one of the really fun things is uh, Vince Gilligan wrote a um, 1998 comedy rom-com called Home Fries starring Luke Wilson and Drew Barrymore. There's a restaurant in that called Burgermatic, and um, Burgermatic's logo is seen in the Madrigal building as part of the the Madrigal uh, conglomerate. Cool. So Vince Gilliam. Yeah, I love a little. Yeah, he wanted a little throwback to his previous work, which is pretty fun. Yeah, I love that. And actually, you know, I've, I've been watching different TV shows, and I, I find it always impressive when people make up names for restaurants. And, you know, Burgermatic and Los Pobres Hermanos sound like plausible actual restaurant totally. names. I've, I've, I've seen other shows that, you know, create technology companies or restaurants and it just seems a little phony, but these actually seem like they could be, you know, they really put some effort into, you know, designing a logo and, and stuff like that. So, uh, it, you're saying it's better than Pied Piper in, uh, HBO's Silicon Valley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pied Piper is it's funny in, in its own way, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one's that one's uh, that one's pretty good. Well, there's another right, Zach, there's another trivia thing, but I will save it for um, for I think what is your best moment later uh, in this discussion. So there's a little yeah. another little nugget there, but we'll, we'll, we can go on. Yeah, that sounds good. Zach, any broader thoughts and themes in this episode? I mean, this is another episode that really showcases Mike as a character. And, you know, you talked in the last episode of our podcast about how Mike was sort of the driving force. I think that he has a big part to play in this episode as well, not just because he occupies a lot of the screen, but because he's sort of internally conflicted a lot of the time. And it's really interesting, you know, especially when he confronts Lydia at the end of the episode, you know, he talks about the guys that he has to kill as they were two good guys. Like he didn't want to do the things that he was doing. And it's sort of, it's interesting to watch him compared directly with Walt, who seems to be doing things, you know, willfully and and without remorse of, of sort of any kind. So it's interesting to sort of contrast those characters. 
Yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I that, That's what I would say on broader thoughts and themes is just that this is like a continuation of the, the Mike saga, for lack of a better way of describing this. First two, even three episodes, I think, of this season are Mike getting roped into this because, and we'll find this out in, in this episode and in the coming episodes, without Mike, Walt and Jesse are basically powerless to make the second half of their empire happen. And, and the deal that they strike is basically, you know, Mike handles the business and Walt and Jesse handle the production. And, um, in, you know, the fact that they are now having that conversation with Mike at all is totally remarkable. Uh, and I think is, you know, has to be sort of the central takeaway from this whole development. Like, and why is that happening? And what does that portend for Mike's future if he's wrapped in with these guys all over again? Yeah, and we've talked about this before, but, you know, Mike and Walt, they don't look the same, but they have a similar look. Like if you were to see them from behind, two bald men, older gentlemen, you know, they're they're sort of similar in, in their appearance, but they couldn't be more different in sort of the way that they approach the world. And they, they both certainly have flaws and they both certainly are morally questionable in a lot of the things that they do. But I always find it interesting to sort of look at characters that are in shows like this and sort of compare them against each other because I think what the writers and the and Vince Gilligan want you to see is they, what they want you to do is to make a comparison between these characters and to sort of compare and contrast who is doing the right thing and who has you know any moral authority to to do x y or z so I I, I think that'll be something interesting to watch as we continue on in the season yeah I completely agree with you all right Zach well let's move on to best scene and we'll, we'll start with yours and uh, you're just going to play a little bit of a sample of this. This is the opening of the episode. Honey mustard. Von der Forschungsabteilung. Dies ist unser zuckeres Rezept für den amerikanischen Mittleren Westen. Wir haben den Zuckeranteil um fast 14% erhöht, benutzen aber tatsächlich... So, uh, I don't think I've told you this before, Josh, but I studied German in high school. Uh, oh, yeah. I love the okay. language. It just sounds so cool. I love this. Um, I love the speech here of this tester. Uh, but beyond that, you know, zooming out, even, even from a cinematic standpoint as well, I like the whole setup. I like this facility. I like how they are literally going to another continent to film it, or they're, they're actually, they filmed it in the U.S. Um, and you can tell because when he's in the bathroom, actually, this is another goof. The wall outlets are distinctly American outlets. They're not oh, the yeah. European 220 volts. But so they're, um, they didn't literally go there, but they're taking the viewer to another continent, right? To sort of, yeah. to, to carry on the scene. And I think that's really great. And then just you even heard it in that clip there, but even just the sound effects of this guy munching on the uh, the chicken nuggets, it's so good. It's so uh, so rich. I mean, the the shots, the up close shots of him dipping these things into the honey mustard sauce or the barbecue sauce, and then the commentary as well. Like if you translate the German that I just played, not that I could understand it. I mean, I've lost all my German, but the subtitles tell me that he was saying. This is our, you know, sweeter honey mustard flavor formulated specifically for the American Midwest. The implication being like the people in the in the American Midwest that want sweeter honey mustard. It's just it's just funny. There's a lot of like little nice touches in the scene. And then separate from all that, the viewers thinking, what is going on here? Who is this guy? Never seen him before. What's going to happen? Why is he acting borderline catatonic as this guy's trying to talk to him and get his input, etc. It's just a really um, kind of remarkable and fun scene to me. I think the best part about the fact that we're now in Europe is that it goes directly to this idea that Walt thinks he is sort of the center of the universe. Like it, without his product, without him, none of this would work. And really it's sprawling beyond his wildest imagination. Like he has no idea that Gus was, 
you know, dealing with these magical executives in order to fund, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that they were, pro- you know, they were all profiting and they were getting materials. And he just has this idea that he makes this blue crystal meth and that that is the be all end all. And really, he couldn't be further from the truth. So I think it's interesting for the viewer. This is one of those situations where the viewer learns more than than the characters in the show that we have an idea that Walt is sort of a, a big fish in a little pond when he really thinks that he's the big fish in the big pond, but he doesn't realize how big the pond is. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and I think it is, it's interesting. Like this is not a parochial operation. This is not Tuco Salamanca and this is not Walt taking over yeah. Tuco's turf. This is Walt, um, you know, taking the reins of what was previously a globally distributed drug empire. Yeah. Yeah. So I find that really interesting. Anything else on your, your best scene? Nope. That's it. Okay, so my best scene, we're going to hear a little bit of it here. It's the interrogation that that Hank and Gomi give to Mike. Well, here's the thing, Mike. Michael? Mr. Armantrop. Here's the thing, Mike. Lucky for you, you didn't touch that money. Cannot say the same for the other 11 on the list. One of you guys is going to roll on you. And then we'll definitely remember the handcuffs. Now, before that day comes, you can do yourself a solid. You can tell us what you know. You can tell us who's still out there. And if we like your story, good things could happen. Kaylee might be able to keep some of that money. Maybe. So what do you say? I don't know anything about any money. I don't know what you're talking about. So there's a couple things that I really like about this scene. The first is that it's sort of a different take on the interrogation room scene. Oftentimes we see sort of an intimidated, either an intimidated person in the interrogation room, not sure what's going on, or we see someone who's just not going to talk. But here we have the character of Mike, who is a former police officer, who's probably conducted many of these interrogations in his past. And so we get a different dynamic, like he's not phased at all by Hank and Gomi's questioning of him. In fact, at one point before this dialogue that we hear, he holds out his hands and says, are you going to arrest me? Just do it if you're going to do it. And they say, well, we're not going to arrest you now. And he said, okay, then I'm leaving. And then they have this conversation. The other thing I like about it is Hank's complete disregard for Mike as a, as a person, you know, <laughs> yeah, so Mike, funny. Michael, Mr. Armitrat. Okay, okay, Mike, Mike. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just perfect. And, and I also love too, that even Hank gets a little bit annoyed with with Gomi you know when Gomi says oh maybe you're maybe uh, Kaylee can keep that money and and Hank's like well well, well maybe yeah you know yeah, that like, was he doesn't even promise him anything yeah that was very interesting so, so you know it sh- it shows power dynamics between different characters it shows different character traits I mean we get a lot of vintage Hank in this in this scene we get a lot of vintage Mike in the scene it's a it, it's sort of like the best of these characters coming out I mean Gomi is a little bit of a throwaway vintage Gomi supporting <laughs> vintage Gomi uh, he's a little bit of a throwaway but um but yeah, I just like it. It's so it's so dense and but it doesn't feel like overly dramatic. It doesn't feel like it's overdone. Yeah, the just in defense of Gomi, I, I think we said this too. The only the only scene that I think Gomi's really shined is the uh when he's talking to Dennis, the laundromat guy. He's like, Dennis, yeah. come on, we'll be like the wind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty funny. Yeah, it was a, it's yeah. a good scene. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to I want to I want to switch up our order here a little bit because your your uh, best moment comes right after my best writing. So yeah. let's talk about your best writing first. And it actually comes sequentially early in the episode. And then we'll we'll jump to my best writing and then move into best moment. Sounds good. Sure. So um, this just as a refresher, I'm going to play the audio in just a sec. But this is right after 
um, Walt and Jesse, quote, find the ricin cigarette that's really a salt cigarette that Walt has planted into the Roomba uh, so that Jesse can find it and not blame himself for losing the ricin, etc. Well, I don't know about you, but I for one could use a beer. Do you have any... Jesse? I almost shot you. Hey, hey, now. I almost killed you all because... Listen, <clears throat> it was just a, a misunderstanding. No, 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 no. I don't know what's wrong with me, Mr. White. I, hey. <laughs> I don't know how I could be so stupid. Stop, stop that now. Come on. Come on. Come on. I'm so sorry. And I'm cutting it for time here, but what I'm leaving out is perhaps the most powerful part where right after that, Walt says, come on now. What happened happened for the best. And I, for one, wouldn't change a thing which I think is really telling on a number of levels. One, he's just trying to comfort Jesse, et cetera. It's all going to be okay. It all happened for the best. Uh, but two, it makes me think, is Walt here like reflecting on actually what has happened and how he really wouldn't change a thing? And I think he actually is. I think he's satisfied with this. I mean, he is, you know, his action here has triggered this kind of breakdown from Jesse. He clearly doesn't regret that because he did it um, and is showing no remorse for it. Um, and it's also triggered this kind of reversion to the father-son dynamic that we keep seeing pop up between Jesse and Walt. And so when he's crying like this and saying, like, I don't know what's wrong with me, et cetera, and he even says Mr. White, um, he is very much reverting to the sort of childlike Jesse that we have seen before. And then Walt is sort of the father figure um, whom the son will do anything to sort of impress or please, et cetera. And so the acting aside, because I, I think the acting is great here, but this is not a best scene award. This is the best writing award. I think the writing is really good because it sets up that a reversion to that father-son dynamic. And we have that line from Walt that everything has worked out great <laughs> for the best. And he, for one, wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, I, I find it really interesting too, because you know this idea that it, it's almost a continuation of Walt telling Skylar that he forgives her. Like he's basically telling Jesse, look, I forgive you. Like you don't have to be, that's essentially what he's saying when Jesse says, I almost shot you. And here goes Walt again, being like, I forgive you for, you know, like, don't worry about it. You know, everything happened the way it was supposed to it. And I really do think that Walt is pleased with how everything's going. Like he's so self-satisfied. Yeah. His plan went exactly as he wanted it to. You know, the whole thing with with poisoning Brock with the, you know, the Lily of the Valley plant worked. No one caught on to it. Not only did he plant this fake ricin, which he's destroyed by flushing down the toilet, he has the real ricin should he ever need it. And he put it in his outlet at at home. I just think that in this moment, he couldn't he's like on top of his own world, which is, you know, sad for any reasonable, you know, morally conscious person to see. but in his eyes, he's, you know, riding high. Yeah. And as you said in the last episode, flying too close to the sun, perhaps. And as Walt yeah. will say in the next episode, flying too close to the sun. So yeah, yeah, I completely agree. He's so self-satisfied. He's so smug about the whole thing. He is very, very pleased with Heisenberg and how Heisenberg has just masterminded all of this. Um, and yet 
everyone's lives around him are just crumbling. Yeah, and I also love how Walt says, oh, did you check the Roomba? And Jesse said, I already checked it. And Walt's like, well, maybe jag again. It's like, yeah, okay, maybe, <laughs> did Jesse not see through that at all? I mean, well, maybe just. Do you think the Roomba, I've never owned a Roomba, but they're not very big. Do you think it would pick up an no. entire large cigarette like that? Uh, I don't know. We have a we have a different kind of a robot vacuum, and we it's a Yuffie, which is another brand, but it's it has it's like it operates off, similarly. Roomba. Yeah, and do you recommend these? I, I've never used one before. Is it amazing? Really amazing. Okay. Yeah, it picks up so much stuff. I mean, like wow. it it really just runs on its own. So it'll just you just program it to run, and once it runs out of battery, it'll go on go on home and charge, and then do it again the next day uh, they're great but it can't do stairs awesome. right because we have a lot of stairs in our no house. it can't do stairs yeah so and it but it will not fall downstairs so if it senses that there's a drop off it will back up can Pretty you can you program different levels of the house so you can like move it to different floors you don't have actually have to program like certain levels it just runs and it, it will run through every room sort okay. of like in a pattern okay and then it will and it'll move to the next room. Okay. Um, they're pretty great. So yeah, definitely uh, interesting. It's changed how much we've had to sweep. You know, you have young kids as well. And sometimes you're like, did we have crackers lately? When did those get on the floor? Like, yeah, what's now, going on here? One of the problems that we have it like in our, we're, we're getting a far afield here, but uh, like we have kitchen, you know, a, a kitchen uh, with obviously like hard floors, not carpet, but um, in our dining room and kitchen, we'll have things like ketchup and milk spill on the ground and stuff. <laughs> yeah. I would not want the vacuum. No, to you have to be careful. Stuff. Yeah. I've, I've seen horror stories about people who have dogs <laughs> Just that, and the, the Roomba dogs. has smeared it everywhere. So <laughs> and we won't get into that, but yeah. So the, all that's to say that our Roomba has sucked up my son's mighty max before you remember mighty max, that little, uh, little guy who is, they're oh, pretty yeah, small. Yeah. Yeah. But but they have sucked up things like that. So I'm not sure of an entire cigarette. May, I don't know. Maybe it's it's tough to say, but it can suck up solid things. OK, fair enough. Fair enough. At least in my at least in my Maybe experience. Roomba enough credit. Yeah. So who knows? But this is also, you know, an eight year old Roomba. So, ten, you know, Good I don't point. know. Yeah. First Technology's improved. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's move on to my best writing. This is the scene where Mike confronts Lydia. We're going to hear a little bit of their conversation here. Don't shoot me in the face, please. I don't want my daughter seeing me like that. Your daughter won't see you. Yes, she will. She'll find me. She never once sleeps through the night. Nobody's going to find you, Lydia. Wait, what? No. No. She has to find me. Lower your voice. She has to find me. She has to find me. I, I... Do you want your five-year-old daughter stumbling across? your dead body i can't just disappear she has to know i didn't leave her she has to know that keep your voice down i don't care what you do i'll i'll scream and i'll keep screaming my my daughter's not thinking i abandoned her this is a really interesting scene but i like it because it, i think it it explores mike as a character in a way that we could have just been told but it's sort of a, a visual representation. I mean, clearly he's there to do a job, which he's done twice already in this episode. He's killed people that he knows. He's there to kill Lydia because she was sort of the, the mastermind behind uh, sniping all of the, you know, the the associates for Gus's empire. But what you can't see, what you can't see by just by listening to the audio is sort of Mike's, you know, it's it's clear that he's pained here. And his reaction, he does this thing where he, he sort of contorts his mouth oftentimes when he's thinking about things. And, you know, I just I just think it's a Jonathan Banks who plays Mike. He does a really good job just sort of expressing 
you know, he's saying one thing, but it's clear that his mind is thinking something else. And this is something that, you know, I, I touched on earlier in the podcast, but we don't get this from Walt anymore. We don't see this sort of internal back and forth when he's when he's making a decision that could be destructive to someone else's life. So I find it really interesting here. I also just think the acting is really good and that it's played really well. I mean, I think that this is writing that could be that could come off in a in a in a bad way if the acting isn't there. So I think the acting elevates the writing. And so for those reasons, that's why I've, I've picked it as as best writing. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, especially that last part about the acting being really good. Um, whoever plays Lydia, and I'm looking up her name right now because it is escaping me, uh, is I think really, really phenomenal. And she has only bit parts to play. I mean, and she really only appears in, in I think, what the last, the last episode of season four, I believe. And... Um, or maybe it's, is it last episode? I'm getting it mixed up now. But I the, think this is the first episode she appears in it. According to, according to what I'm seeing on IMDb. Okay. This is the, the first episode she appears in. Well, I would definitely trust, um, trust IMDb over me. So we'll, we'll go with that. But she's really, really good. I think she plays a small part, but it's a very well cast part. And she is very convincing. And her name is Laura Frazier, by the way. F-R-A-S-E-R. Yeah. What I like about, I, I often have, problems in shows that that don't make you that don't work for emotional moments but i don't know if it's just because i have kids now too but this whole and i think this this goes specifically to the writing but what she's saying is really interesting she's saying she's she's not saying don't kill me because she knows that she's done wrong she's saying i don't want my daughter to think that i abandoned her that that must have come from we've talked a lot on this podcast about how maybe there weren't parents in the writer's room you know in terms of like last episode when they left holly unattended on the the bed but this is a very emotional thing for a parent like worse than someone dying might be the fact that your kids think that you don't want them anymore yes and so i find that incredibly powerful and it was very moving upon a rewatch of this this episode no you're totally right i also found this more moving this time around than i have in times past because now i have kids who are what's what's her daughter's name uh it's not Holly. Oh, yeah. That's, totally blanking uh, yeah totally blanking. well um yeah, I have kids who are, you know, that girl's age approximately and yeah. i can sort of put myself in lydia's shoes and it's the same thing like um, so, so very compelling in that way, yeah. but she'll be throughout this season. She's in 12 episodes of breaking bad. So, um, we are, we're certainly going to see a lot more of Laura. Uh, it makes me not wonder quite to Ted Beneke level, not but quite to Ted Beneke. Cause he's what well, you said, 13, 13, 13. Yeah. <laughs> he has one up on Lydia. Oh my goodness. What does the world come to? <laughs> All right, Zach. Well, let's move on to your best moment. Cause it immediately follows the dialogue we just heard there between Mike and, and Lydia. So let's play that. And then you can discuss why you picked it. Can you still get your hands on meth on me? So very short, but very crucial because we heard this whole drama between Lydia and Mike. And Mike's going to kill her because she got his guys killed, etc. But as he's about to, he's realizing she could potentially get the methylamine. What does methylamine mean? It means that he could get Walt the precursor he needs to keep the operation going. And so up to this point, by the way, we saw Walt try to convince Mike to go into business with him and Jesse. He proposed it out. They'd be equal partners, owners of this enterprise, et cetera. And then Mike was like, thanks, but no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. And then Walt was like, eh, sleep on it. See how you feel. And so the last thing we saw was Mike saying, no, I'm absolutely not going into business with you. I don't need to sleep on it. I've made up my mind. And now we see Mike thinking, 
maybe there is an, a third way. Maybe we use Lydia to get more methylamine, et cetera, et cetera. And so I like this moment for two reasons. One, it, it stops the murder that's about to happen with Mike killing Lydia and throws a curveball at us that way. But two, they find a way to simultaneously throw a curveball at us by showing us that actually Mike is going to go into business with Walt and Jesse. And that is the, I think, even the more unexpected curveball. Because Mike's kind of a lovable character. You don't actually think Mike has has what it takes to pull off killing the mother of a young girl in her own house. But what you really don't think is going to happen is Mike's going to go into business with Walt and Jesse. And here we have both of those curveballs thrown at us simultaneously in one line. What I want to ask you about this, and I don't know if there's a necessarily an answer, is that is does Mike bring up the methylamine because he's thinking about the business first, or does he bring up the methylamine to have an excuse not to kill Lydia? And I, I think that that's an important distinction. I'm I'm leaning towards the latter because I, I really don't think he wants to kill her. Agreed. And so he realizes, well, if she can have a use, then then maybe you know, I can avoid having to do this, this really terrible thing. And not that the other things he's done aren't terrible, but it's sort of more terrible in, in some respects, because there's this young girl just in the room over or two rooms over. So I think it's, I think it's interesting to think about it from that perspective. Yeah, agreed. And the reason I agree with you is because when we're watching that scene, like you said, it's very well acted by um, both cast members and you see Mike's like pained expressions, the more, Lydia talks. He's basically like, stop talking, stop saying yeah, it that way. Stop. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I totally think he's looking for an out. How can I save Lydia? And the way to do that is she's my methylamine supplier for my new business enterprise. Yeah. Her reaction is interesting because he's like, can you get your hands on methylamine? She's like, I don't know, maybe. It's like, <laughs> when, when, wouldn't you say absolutely? Yeah. I can what, do it. Whatever, whatever you need. Yeah. <laughs> it's like sometimes they tell actors on resumes. It's like if, if they ask you, can you ride a horse? You say yes. And right. if you can't ride it, you figure you, it out you later. Learn, you learn how to ride a horse. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, my best moment in this episode, which I think you have a little uh, trivia on as well, is just this scene where they're meeting with Jesse and Walter meeting with Saul. And we're going to hear a little bit of a description about their past, their past the location for cooking meth. First order of business is to find a new place to cook before anyone says it. No more RVs. I don't know. I mean, the crystal ship did pretty good for us. The crystal ship. Yeah. That's what I called it. So this is funny for a couple of reasons. First of all, I don't know why they're reminiscing about the uh, quote unquote crystal ship, because uh, the less they forget, they were stuck in the desert for a couple of days. Now, that was partially user error. But even still, like, why would you want to be stuck out there? And Walt's reasoning is, oh, I was a little too small and dark. No, it's because it's a pretty crummy place to cook. Yeah, that. exactly. And also he mentions that it, they had to go far out. But yeah, I just thought this was a really funny thing. It's not something that I picked up on. I actually, I watched the episode, rewatched it. And then I was going back through to like find my best moment because nothing stood out immediately. And I rewatched that scene again. I was like, oh, that was pretty funny. I like that. Jesse's, Jesse's little nice ode to their previous cook spot. He specifically, Walt specifically says he doesn't want to go out to an Indian reservation, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He's yeah, like, I so, don't want to drive 50 miles out again. And Yeah, that's what I thought. So um, that will become relevant, I think, later because there's an Indian in, there's an Indian reservation that becomes very prominent in this season. So just bear that in yeah. mind as well. But yeah, my, my fun piece of trivia for this is in Malcolm in the Middle, um, the high school that Malcolm's, um, or the, the magazine that Malcolm's high school publishes is called The Crystal Ship. And oh, that is, of course, Brian Cranston's previous TV series. His like his basically his only claim to fame prior to this show was Malcolm in the Middle. So a 2004 episode of that 
reveals that the ma- the high school's magazine is called the Crystal Ship. So another good callback, another Easter egg that exactly. if you were a fan of both shows, you would you would pick up on. Yeah, and I I'm just ripping this off from IMDb. I'm not like a I'm not a Malcolm in the Middle um, fanatic, so I don't know. It's not, you're not a Malcolm in the Middle stan. <laughs> I'm not. I, I don't stand Malcolm <laughs> in the Middle. All right, Zach. Any nits to pick from this episode? Um, no, I, I, t- I talked through some of the goofs. I mean, I guess like the, the AED misuse and the, um, you know, using the wrong electric outlets, uh, would be my two nits to pick from that. And the electric outlet thing, pretty easy to fix. You just get a new plate cover, you know, and, yeah. and just put it over there. So that's a, yeah, it doesn't actually have to be another, a new outlet. It's not like right. they used it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, that's yeah. all I've got. I actually didn't have any nits to pick in this episode and you know, wow. I think a rare perfect episode for you. Well, let's not say perfect. I mean, there's <laughs> things that I thought were goofy about it, but nothing nits to pick outside of uh, sort of your goofs that you picked up on the beginning. All right, Zach, that just leaves us with MVP for this episode. I'll let you kick it off here. I'm curious to see where you're going to go with this one. Yeah, this is uh, another hard one, um, but I'm going to go with Mike one more time. So he was my choice last episode. I think we're just seeing sort of like part two of that Mike saga. And so for the same reason, I'm going to do that. I asked, I actually contemplated giving it to uh, Laura Frazier as Lydia um, for that reason, because I think that my selection is best moment. Can you get more methylamine is so powerful and she yeah. and Mike play so well in that scene, but Mike's also in that scene. So I can't really give that to, you know, can't give the edge to Lydia there. So I'm going to go with Mike. How about you? Yeah, I'm also going to give it to Mike here. So that, that, uh, you know, for you, that's two in a row. So if you're an NBA jam fan, he's heating up. Can he get three in a row with, with uh, the next episode? We'll see. Not sure. Uh, but he does get an MVP vote for me as well. I think for all the reasons Th- this is really upon rewatching it. I, it's Mike's episode. I mean, there's a lot that he does in this episode. So, um, you know, that's, that's now brought him to five MVP votes for it, for the series, which takes him ahead of, of Hank uh, in front of Saul in front of Marie. So we'll be curious to see if he continues to climb the ladder or if this will be it for him. Obviously he will appear in more episodes, whether he earns the most valuable player vote is yet to be determined, but Still, Walt's leading with 25 MVP votes, Jesse right behind him with 24, and then Skyler, a distant third with 11. Zach, anything else on Magical before we wrap up this episode? I think we've got it. I just want to have some of those chicken nuggets that the that Peter Shooter <laughs> was eating at the beginning. They look so delicious. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, maybe maybe uh, Los Pollos Hermanos will... I don't know if they ever did this. Did they ever do like a pop-up location of Los Pollos Hermanos to sort of tie in with the show? So funny you ask. No, not exactly. But they did a partnership with um, either Grubhub, DoorDash, or Uber Eats several years ago. Yeah. In which you could order from um, a restaurant and it would come in Los Pollos Hermanos. I forget what restaurant oh, it was. Cool. It would come in Los Pollos Hermanos packaging. So okay. if they were still doing that, I would 100% do it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think the promotion has long since expired. So yeah interesting okay well uh yeah so um yeah we'll see maybe you can get your hands on some los pollos hermanos nuggets maybe that's a future enterprise for for us after we finish this podcast delicious all right well that will wrap it up for season five episode two we'll be back next week with season five episode three it's called hazard pay it's a good episode and i'm excited to talk about that and zach uh, if anybody has anything to send to us they can send it to breaking pot at vernacularpodcast.com please send us uh, questions thoughts comments how do we do covering this episode anything you'd like to discuss with us please let us know until next time i'm josh and i'm zach talk to you soon